My guest this week is Alex Lang, principal clarinet for the Phoenix Symphony. Alex is a black classical musician who has worked his way up to one of the most prestigious positions for any musician studying classical music. He's a very bright person. He's a deep thinker. He's a really good friend of mine. We got to work on a project of his through an organization he started called The Leading Tone, and now he started a new project called Artistry After School. He plays in various ensembles besides being in the symphony itself, and he had a spectacular couple of years from 2017 through 2019 where he was awarded some very prestigious awards and even got to play at Carnegie Hall. I'm really thrilled to have Alex on the podcast, and you will find that he is very interesting, very funny, and I was so glad he was able to take the time out of his day to sit with me and have this conversation. We got so deep, this has turned into a two-part episode. The first part, we go through his life up until today. The second part, we talk about all of the projects and what he's trying to do to help and change the world. And I hope you really enjoy this episode as much as I did speaking with my dear friend, Alex. I'm glad you are joining me for this episode. Again, I'm very grateful that I am in your ears and you've chosen to listen to my podcast. Today, I have a very special guest and friend, amazing musician. Uh, I was lucky enough to meet him, get introduced, to work with him on a special project a few years back. We've stayed friends ever since. We don't get to see each other much, but it's nice to see his face here on the podcast, and he is principal clarinet for the Phoenix Symphony. Welcome, my friend, Alex Lang. Welcome. Hey, nice to be here. Thanks for having me, Joe. Yeah, man. So I want to, um, like I do with a, a lot of the guests that I have on the podcast, I kind of want to start from the beginning, and just I want you to bring us up to today, and then I want to talk about some of the special things that you're doing, but I want to first start with your musical career and and like as a child did did you start early or was this something mm -hmm. you got into later on and so basically my first question was when did you get like you can start and and it doesn't have to include music you can maybe kind of bring us onto the on-ramp of how you started in in music at a younger age sure yeah so um i think it starts for me in school Right. I went to um, uh, a school that had uh, a lot of music in the curriculum, but uh, interestingly, no instrumental music instruction program. So it was a small school, um, alternative education, uh, the, based on the philosophies of this one guy, but it's called the Waldorf School. There, there's more of them in Europe, but there's a few here in the States. In any case, there's a lot of music, a lot of song a lot of um, music across all, all sort of classes, your, your language class, your, you know, your main lesson, your this, your that. Um, so I think that they gave us recorders in like first or second grade. And um, that was, I think, the first time when me and the people around me sort of started to notice that there was something with Alex in music. I mean, you'd have to ask my parents if they saw it earlier, but that's, that's when I remember it, right? So I would bring the recorder home and I was good at it, right? It was like something that came 
relatively easy to me. I was figuring stuff out by ear really fast and having, you know, and um, playing, bringing it home and, you know, just being a weirdo. With it. <laughs> <laughs> and was this and, in, was this in Maryland? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I grew up in okay. uh, the D I was born in DC and grew okay. up around, around DC. I grew up mostly in Silver Spring, Maryland. Um, and, uh, the school. Yeah. So, so that was that. And then around, um, you know, sort of typically my sort of the regular rhythm, I think summer, uh, between fourth and fifth grade, um, my, um, you know, my mom and dad say like, Hey, you're going to do a music program this summer or something. I was like, okay. So they signed me up for, um, lessons at the DC uh, program that the DC youth orchestra ran. And so in the summer, the DC youth orchestra would run a sort of, they take over this, uh, a school is uh, Calvin Coolidge high school in uh, Tacoma park, DC. And, um, they would run uh, like their youth orchestra, both like the senior and junior division, like doing all day intensive type stuff for the week or weeks. And then they would also run um, uh, inter group lesson, beginner, intermediate, advanced, right? So I started, of course, in beginner clarinet with like 20 other kids and we picked the clarinet because i didn't really pick it my parents picked it because <laughs> i didn't know what a clarinet was right i'm so glad you're you're actually explaining this because i was going to say is it just like the natural progression from recorder to clarinet but i'm so glad you're explaining this yeah i mean i i, I don't know if it's yeah i mean well again this is without like a band program or anything my mom i think sort of figured a woodwind because the recorder I, that seemed to be something that I did though a musician you know might have been looked at I was a bigger kid I'm a bigger person still you know someone else might have looked at my hands and been like ooh, like cello or piano you know they baritone might have, sax baritone <laughs> sax right because you know every fifth grader every right. fifth grader should start on baritone wants sax. To, wants to haul yeah. that around just Who, like yeah exactly <laughs> exactly exactly we all want to grow up and be jerry mulligan yeah so right. um so yeah, so uh, that I think my mom was sort of figuring it out on her own in that regard, like oh woodwind and you know recorder and clarinet, they kind of looked like they might be similar. And then the kicker was that my grandmother, uh, her mom, had been a big fan of Benny Goodman, like a big fan. And so this idea, I think she wanted her kids, you know, my mom and her siblings, to play clarinet. No one had, and so this idea of like I think that also sort of put the clarinet. But I remember this is this funny. Is I remember that on the on the drive down there, and I totally get this now as a parent, right? Because you're like, there's probably some like the kid is like, you know, you're playing with blocks, you're not paying attention. For my mom, it may have been like a real like rush to get out the door and deal, you know, three kid, two kids at that time and whatever. But I remember on the drive down there, she's like, okay, well, look, if she's talking over her shoulder, right? If clarinet is is full up we're going to sign you up for oboe. And I was like, okay, whatever. Like, I don't even know what these things are, <laughs> but to look back and be like, man, if I had just like, we've been a little bit later, maybe who knows, right? right? It's like oboe, that sounds nuts. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and why not saxophone actually looking back mom? But anyway, it, I guess, so thankfully the clarinet were still open and um, yeah. So, you know, you go, they give you, it's all like inclusive, right? So they like, we, we went up there, signed up and left with a, with a rental instrument, like right there. And um, yeah, I went home and like figured out how to put it together. Like, no, you know, it's in pieces. And um, 
set it up backwards, had the reed on the top <laughs> of the instrument as opposed to on the back, and nice. like started started playing. I learned, and that day I like figured out how to play something, you know, um, and it went from there. And so, um, yeah, then fortunately that fall, so that program wrapped up that fall. Uh, my parents went to uh, Ellsworth Music Studios in Bethesda, Maryland. And it happened, uh, the clarinet teacher there was a guy named Charles Steyer, who was only going to be there for like, as, you know, as time moves forward, he only ends up being there for like another couple months or something. And then he, he, he started teaching out, his, out of his house or maybe a year. But in any case, um, we made that connection and he became my teacher. And I studied with him from age 10 to 18. It was a really intense um, uh, dedicated relationship. He gave me a lot of time. I gave him a lot of uh, commitment and effort. And um, yeah, and that's sort of the first, that's like me 10 to 18 in a nutshell. Got it. And, and you mentioned earlier, and we should bring it up because you're sitting down, but you are like, what, six, two, four? Yeah, six, three, six, six three. three. Yeah. Yeah. So, so one of my questions was, when you know as a young kid mm -hmm. same thing as you i wasn't as quite we've had this conversation i wasn't maybe as quite committed mm -hmm. um musically because i would i would definitely go in my room for hours and practice the drums to rap but just play the records i couldn't stand the rudiment part of it and all of yeah, it yeah. you know um but i also played in little league i played in soccer i was like yeah. a you know high school captain of my soccer team that kind of yeah. stuff so did you play sports? Definitely. You, yeah, because you, you had yeah. the physique. So I was wondering how yeah. you were able to balance the two. Uh, there wasn't really any balancing that needed to be done until like junior year. Definitely to answer your question, Joe. Yeah, I, def I define myself as an athlete. Not a good one. Trying to be good. <laughs> I grew up in, a neighbor in the neighborhood I grew up in. Sports were like the sort of currency. You know, that was what we did. We played different sports with the seasons. Um, we, I lived on a cul-de-sac. So we had this, you know, sort of round space in between all our houses. And that was our football field, our baseball field. You know, we even played hockey a little bit, like street hockey, you know, mm -hmm. like we were just, you know, a lot of the energy for that came from my older brother, who was a, a, a you know, a really, so competition athleticism really sort of defined the neighborhood. And, um, I was bigger, but younger, you know, I was, I'm, I'm, so I was size wise, like with them, but age wise about three years behind. So uh, I can understand now that that's why, like, I was not the, I was not, I was like decent, but I was not the best one, but then I would go to school and I was the best athlete. Right. And I know now that's because you were competing against, no matter how size you are, like the wiring of the nervous system, three years is a big amount of time just oh, in terms yeah. of being coordinated and understanding how to move your body and experience, right? Just having done the thing. So, um, yeah, but in school, I was an athlete, again, small school. So, I mean, very much like, you know, um, for the Hoosier fans out there, it's like I went to Hickory, right? I mean, there were 50 kids, 60 kids in my high school class, uh, in my high school, in my whole school. There were nine kids in my graduating class. So, being a standout athlete, in the midst of that, you know, take it for what it's worth. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I played basketball was my sport. For, I played soccer, like you know, it's, you know I, I played soccer and um, up played soccer probably up through like freshman year of high school. Um, never played baseball beyond Sandlot, but basketball 
was 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 serious about it and took that pretty seriously around junior year to answer your long story short answering your question junior year is when the two um started to conflict with each other and uh there was a big basketball tournament at the same time there was some musical thing some opportunity to do something with the clarinet and i chose clarinet which you know was disappointing to my coaches, my teammates, not coaches plural, but you know whatever. I left it, you know, and and but it felt like what I needed to do. And then I didn't go out. For, then I didn't go out for basketball senior year. Uh, that was the first time. And then that was that was like the real sort of so that that moment in some you know fall of junior year is when I really when I really had to um, make a decision. And that just sort of solidified like what my identity was. I was a musician you know, not, not an, an athlete. Um, so, yeah. And during this time, were you already planning that your life would be everything involving music and you, you were one of those people, unlike myself, who literally just panicked like in senior year, like I, I want to go away to a music school and I haven't thought about any of this. and you know, did you plan it? And, yeah. and and before you even did that, I wanted to find out, did you, were you playing in orchestra and band clarinet? Did you do both? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. so... so no, you no, little... no, 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 I'm, I'm, oh. I'm, I'm, I'm acknowledging the question. <clears throat> oh, I didn't okay. do either, actually, oh, okay. bizarrely, Joe, which was like a, a weird wrinkle in my musical development. So to unpack <laughs> all of that, um, I did start planning around eighth grade i remember saying out loud like um i was gonna major in music and business like that was a thing like i mean it is a thing now but i mm -hmm. don't know i didn't mean business i meant like someone i meant like yeah just some sort of like white collar thing yep. right yeah yep. um my dad wasn't my dad was an attorney I think early on, I thought I was going to, I wanted, I thought I would say stuff like that. You know, I want to be able to, I, I think in eighth grade, I'm saying music and business. And I think the significant part is that, I'm, that music is like something I'm naming as something I'm going to do. I don't think I knew at that point, like how one could, what one did to make a living as a musician. I definitely didn't know that like orchestras were a thing. Um, so getting back to my school, right? Small school, no no instrumental program at all. So I didn't play. I auditioned for like all state band, in like eighth or ninth grade, and got in and went away and did that weekend. Felt really out of sorts. You know, I was already just like weird because I was going to this, like I was having a very different, just sort of regular school experience because I'm going to this small alternative private school. There's probably some racial elements there, just like being around a whole bunch of different people that. Uh, but mainly the other thing was like, I just didn't, I, I didn't know anything about band culture. So it was just very like, so I never did that again. Um, and I don't, then I got a fellowship from the National Symphony in DC, like my junior or senior year. And so I started to do some stuff through them and going to National Symphony rehearsals and concerts and taking lessons with members of the orchestra, starting to understand that as a thing. Um, and uh, got to play in some side-by-side -side situations with the National Symphony. Like a really, I had one really formative experience in that regard. Like the first time, like you talk about playing along to records. It's the first time, like 
I was playing along to a record of, of like, it was Beethoven's Fourth Symphony, but it was like the record was like the live musicians. It was the first time I had that feeling. It was like, it still lives in me. It was just really was amazing. Um, and, but I didn't play in large ensemble with any regularity until I got to college. And uh, just to geek out on the music part of that a little bit, what that meant, as you can imagine, Joe, is like, you know, I didn't know how to play with other people. And I didn't know, understand the importance of like collective pulse, rhythm, intonation. Like I didn't even begin to understand that as a thing until much, much later. But just the basics, like it's, you know, I, I really at that point didn't understand like why you need to understand with some specificity and depth that a dotted quarter has three eighth notes in it, right? I was like, yeah. there's a quarter note, that's the beat. There's the half note, that's two beats. And there's the dotted quarter, which is like in between. <laughs> oh my God. Which is fine if you're, if you're learning, as I was learning, most of my study was like some etudes and then pretty quickly we got into real literature. So a lot of my formative study from like high school through college is like learning major concertos, you know, Mozart, Nielsen, Weber, all this sort of stuff. So I'm like, looking at the music, listening to recordings, translating the, the notes on the page, you know, translating the, the sounds that I'm hearing through the notes on the page. There's a sort of a you know, mix of all of those things. And then, and then creating like really, you know, for the time, I think pretty polished, mature, you know, sort of reproductions of these pieces or productions of these pieces. But, you know, not, not doing the whole like, six clarinets sight reading this thing together and sort of learning how to turn the symbols into sound in a way that lets you work with other people so my first year at northwestern i did of course you know not of course but i did well on the placement audition because i could play the clarinet so they're like oh wow we're excited great we're going to teach you principal clarinet of this wind ensemble you know, so for me, like, that was like, great, because I wanted to win. I was a competitive person. That's, I think, where the sports and the music thing come together. Same as you, right? Like, so you sort of translate that competitive. But, uh, brother, man, I, <laughs> <laughs> I made such a mess of stuff. Because <laughs> I didn't know, I didn't know how any of it worked. I didn't know how to, like, I didn't know how any of it worked. Um, I knew how to play the clarinet. So this is, even though we've known each other, I never heard this before. So this is really interesting to me based mm -hmm. on the fact that you have reached a very high level in the musical community and, and, mm -hmm. and music in general. So just to clarify, because you went to this small private school and they had no ensembles, instrumental ensembles, mm -hmm. the entire time, all of this playing that you ever did was only when you went away to one of these camps or only when you did all state or all of it, like so you basically took the clarinet and continued to improve on it and play it and work on it solely on your own without any no no i had a private teacher that one private right teacher besides right okay besides yeah, yeah, besides yeah, oh, sorry yes, besides yeah, that yeah, yeah. yeah you never literally got to play in ensembles and groups with other people where you brought up all these great points about yeah timing intonation and pulse and, yeah and pulse and yeah. feeding off of each other and all yeah. of the things that happen in yeah. ensemble until yeah. you got basically to college that's right and so music wasn't a social thing for me you know it's interesting so it's i mean i'm you know i'm, I'm, a, I'm a child of the 80s and the 90s so like 
you know, karate kid, like very much sort of match. You know, I had I had my I had my Mr. Miyagi, like this sort of off the beaten path teacher, really dedicated to me, teaching in a kind of different way, definitely teaching um, sort of artistry first and then like learning sort of function second, as opposed to like, we're going to do function, function, function. And then when you get all these basic rudiments together, we're going to like what you're describing, right? The stuff you didn't have patience for. I mean, we did a lot of that for sure, to be clear. A lot of, a lot of just like technical, 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 but still it was in this context of like, you know, trying to be him in many ways. I think it was a lot of what that was about um, for better and for worse, right? That, it, you know, he was this artist and I was trying to be this artist and, I mean, he did right by me in so, so, so many ways, right? And um, I didn't see music as a social thing. So I'm not, I'm not a band kid in that regard. I didn't, you know, I didn't, it wasn't like music wasn't something I did with my friends. It was something I did with my teacher, which is different, I think, than, than a lot of people. Um, but yes, the, answer, the short answer to your question is, no, I did not, <laughs> I did not know how to play an ensemble. And I did some... Like I did solos, but again, you're working with an accompanist. That's a very different dynamic. These are adults who are like, you know, running around with a net catching you when you drop beats and skip stuff. And like, you know, it's a whole different, <laughs> it's a whole different thing. I didn't, I didn't. Uh, so yeah, there's a sharp learning curve in college. Um, yeah. Yeah. So. And so when you started playing, when you started becoming more mature in the clarinet, did you ever think that the direction you would go would be away from classical music? Because you're, because Benny Goodman's jazz, right? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So if, you're, if that's what you was, mm -hmm. was given to you as a sort of, this is the person we admire mm -hmm. as a clarinet mm -hmm. player, mm -hmm. um, did you ever dip your toe in the jazz pool at all? Or was no, I, no. It was always classical. And while that, I, the Benny Goodman story, you know, I mean, you tell your life story so much, right? And you get good at it. So that's sort of like my cocktail party story <laughs> of me and the clarinet. And so Benny Goodman makes an appearance. And I actually did see uh, Benny Goodman's like last or next to last live performance at Wolf Trap in 19, whatever, 80, whatever it was. But that's just, again, you know, just sort of an intersection. Um, no, it doesn't. I, I remember in sixth grade, so at this point I've been playing for like a couple of years. Um, you'll appreciate it. Like, so like Najee and Kenny G and Spyrogyre, like these bands are like, you know, especially Najee was like this idea of like smooth, it's kind of, I don't know if it was, but smooth jazz, you know, Kenny G's like on the regular radio, right? Um, and so I, and everyone's like, Alex, that's the instrument you play. Because to most people, they're like, you know, soprano saxophone, clarinet, it's just like ones, they're the same, right? Aren't they the same? And so I remember going to my teacher and asking him like, hey, what about, wouldn't it be, couldn't I switch to the soprano saxophone? He was like, basically, no. <laughs> so, um, and I, I mean, he couldn't have, he, that wasn't something he did, he could do and all that. I definitely re wish that I had, I had those, I had those desires. I wanted to play music that like, people around me recognized as music, you know? I wanted to, um, yeah, I wanted, I wanted that, uh, but I never, it never happened. And it's still sort of, you know, I still have like itty bitty aspirations to try to, you know, get a little bit of uh, improv uh, ability. It's frustrating because 
and embarrassing. You know, the number of times when people have been like, you know, they, they, they hear your story, they read your resume and they're like, oh man, especially other musicians, this is the worst, man, this is the worst. Other musicians will be like, oh man, and you meet them and you, oh, we, oh, I, let's, we gotta do something together, man. Let's, let's, you know, just come over and you gotta be like, for do for do, like, I don't need to do that, right? Like, I, <laughs> if there's I no music, count me out. Yeah, yeah, I, I joke with friends. Remember that old Saturday Night Live with um, the, the bit, the setup is it's like a morning show, Will Ferrell's in the bit, and it's like the, the teleprompter goes out, David Allen Greer's in it as well. The teleprompter goes out, and in the course of like three commercial breaks, the, the, the show goes completely Lord of the Flies. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> there's a degree to which i feel like that describes my experience like the notes i i must where are the notes so um, all right so so basically a, two things so first thing is do you have a soprano sax somewhere hidden in your house i don't have a soprano sax hidden. i will say this though man soprano sax shows up in the story and and for the for for your audience and the stuff you talk about i think this isn't there's some relevance here soprano sax shows up for me um because uh a friend of ours, uh, Huey Lovelady, uh, here in town in Phoenix, big contractor, uh, used to be in Vegas. So if you want to uh, know some stuff, go check that out. Huey comes to me because uh, uh, the show Wicked is coming to town uh, to do a sit down in Phoenix, and he's contracting it. And Wicked is sort of a weird Broadway show in that the whatever number is, read for or whatever, is a really basically just like a straight clarinet book, right? So it's clarinet. Uh, heavy clarinet, pretty heavy E-flat clarinet, you know, moderately heavy bass clarinet, and like super light soprano saxophone, like a, just like 20, 30, 40, 50 bars of soprano saxophone. At this point, again, I'm so like narrow. I had not ever actually played even bass clarinet, like didn't own one. I don't know, I must've been just like a pain in the butt because I just don't see how my college teachers let me go four years without ever having to spend a semester sitting on bass clarinet somewhere. But I remember being really clear that I didn't want to. And I think they were just like not interested in dealing with me. And so they let me not, but it wasn't good for my development. So I didn't know what to do. So uh, he was like, do this thing. I'm like, nah, man, I'm not going, nah, no, no, no. And he came back a couple times. He came back the first time they came, the first time they came to town, he asked me, I said, no. The second time he came at that point, I was looking for something different to do in the Phoenix Symphony. Long story short, I say, I say yes, um, and I'm just going to have to learn how to play the soprano sax. And he was a sax player. He's like, I'll make sure you're, it's, you're, you're totally overthinking this, Alex. You're more, it's going to be fine. It's going to be great. There's plenty of months to learn it. And uh, I did it. It went fine. It was a real learning point for me on two things. One, it got me out of the orchestra, which I was really looking for at that point, And it gave me some confirmation that, like, you can do things out of here. You you know you don't um, you don't have to be as dependent on this place for your everything, which was liberating and important and right on time on a number of levels. It also sort of taught me the rewards, the sort of rewards that can come with taking a risk. That like and that you can say yes to something that you don't know how to do yet. You know maybe not if it's due tomorrow, but you can say yes to something and believe in yourself that. By the time this thing is due, I'll, I'll figure it out. And that opened up a whole new, that, like if that's possible for you or for me at least, it opened up a whole bunch of things and a whole way of looking at the world that like I could pursue opportunities that I hadn't gotten all the answers to yet. And if I got them, I would figure it out, you know? And, and that, was, that was exciting and confirming. So let's see, the soprano saxophone ended up 
saving me. You know, that's very cool. Yeah, it was just 20 years later, and I loved it to be clear. Just to end, I loved I really enjoyed playing the Spanish soccer, and it did make me think back to that time in sixth grade and be like, oh man, like what would have happened? Because I like, I do like, I love the instrument actually, love's a strong word, but I do like it. But you never went and purchased one. Uh, I did not go and purchase one. Okay, I just want to make sure there's not a closet soprano saxophone. No, there's a here, here's the closest. I got something, I got a prop. Hold on, let me see. I have a, I have a crushed <laughs> metal clarinet. <laughs> a buddy of mine gave this to me as a novelty. It's a metal clarinet that he puts on this uh, uh, like industrial press. So he buys, you know, discarded instruments and then turns it into this art that piece. So hang on It would be so. a better story if you said that actually you ran over that with your car. Yeah, it would. Yeah, 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 yeah. That'd be a funny story. <laughs> All right. So you are at Northwestern because you, because yeah, we, right, we I, I know we jumped all the way to Phoenix already, but yeah. I want to go back because I want to do sure. the progression from yeah. Northwestern to, yeah. so, so keep going from there. So I'm, I'm, I'm at Northwestern. Uh, I went there because uh, the sort of biggest, most prominent clarinet teacher in the country at the time was, was there. And um, I will say that, again, the sort of the, the, the direct sort of path of so-called classical music, especially orchestral music, it's, a, it's built a lot on competition, right? And, it, and so I, you know, I got that, right? And this idea of like, just try to keep winning, right? And eventually, like, somehow that turns into a career. I'm at Northwestern, came in really hot. Um, and then, uh, you know, it's pretty, from a musical perspective, I think if you look at the, if you back up and look at the whole graph, it's kind of a decline for me for the next three years musically. I mean, not to say, and this is not a, uh, one, you know, I was coming at, one, I didn't understand, like, music, a lot of what was going on around me, right? So I didn't really like, I, you know, the whole sort of culture of music schools and band and orchestra was was foreign to me. I, I didn't um, get it as a like social thing in many ways. I wasn't interested in it also as a social thing. Um, I think also, uh, you know, I, I, had, I had been so shaped by this one relationship, teacher-student, which was really powerful and helpful, but also just really unique and not, not the normal relationship that you have with a private teacher, especially at the collegiate level. You know, you see them for an hour in a week. They're interested in you. You know, there's other stuff going on. They've got, they might, they might have a, a full-time performing job somewhere, even on a place like NU, which is, you know, pretty, pretty intense school music. But a lot of the faculty are, are active practitioners um, in the Chicago area, in the Chicago Symphony. Um, things felt different. The competitive piece was very much intact and strengthened at Northwestern. I think in some regards that sort of helped me because it gave me like, every we're it's on a quarter system so three times a year you're auditioning for placement so there is that sort of constant feedback and jockeying again though i would say the competitive piece you know it makes it difficult i, I thought you know how do you connect to people that you're also like everyone's always worried and then it's a bunch right. of insecure 18 19 year olds right just the whole sort of social emotional thing so that's all going on and um things are up and down you know um uh, in that regard i'm doing okay um, but you know, I'm, I'm sort of 
you know, top middle of the pack of, you know, and I'm also have, I, uh, again, I can like have some amazing like breakout moments, right. Where this week, this piece, this thing, but I can also have some moments where it's like, I have no idea why I can't do X, Y, Z. Right. So my understanding of like a lot of the fundamentals and rudiments and my understanding of like when things weren't going well on the instrument, like why that was happening, that was very low at that time. So that's the music thing. On the social side, though, like Northwestern was amazing for me, right? That it was the first time I got to be in a big school, right? Coming from this tiny, tiny school uh, where this is radio, not television. So your audience might not know, but I'm, you know, I'm black. And so... Um, tall, we, tall, dark, and handsome is the way, yeah, I, refer, that, that, exactly, that, the way exactly. I refer to you. <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> um, uh, so... Uh, Northwestern was the first time was it like an exciting was exciting in that regard from the social aspect right there's for me it was a, 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 a bigger black community than I'd ever uh, had before a black peer group that was exciting for me um, pledged my fraternity one of the four traditionally black fraternities that was really great again though to get you know that was sophomore year that was a huge time commitment a huge priority first time in really ever I had put something kind of ahead of the clarinet right you know I was socially not very involved or invested in the school of music academically completely invested right I'm a music performance major um so that was that that's all playing out meanwhile the teacher that I had gone there to study with um you know he's he's a, a giant in the field uh he, he's older at this point when I get there he's already older I never was going to see him as a full-time student my freshman year because he didn't take freshman but the plan was that I would move into his studio my sophomore year but his health started to fail so he didn't take on uh, as many students for what would have been my sophomore year uh, very proud moment for me was when I went to register for my junior year and had now been moved into his studio so I filled out the little bubble form and like that's who my private studio it was like no it definitely felt like okay, this is getting back on track. I'm, I'm now moving into his studio. I'm sort of winning again by virtue of doing that. It just felt like that. Two weeks before my junior year was set to start, I got a call at my home in Maryland from the dean of the School of Music to tell me that um, Mr. Marcellus, the, the teacher I'd gone there to study with, had had a massive heart attack and stroke and was not going to be returning to school that fall. And as it turns out, he never returned to teaching at all and sadly passed away not, not too long after that. So now I'm in my junior year and I'm like, you know, just Northwestern from a musical clarinet perspective has not turned out the way I wanted it or expected or in my case or for not just my case, I really felt like it needs to, right? Because the whole idea is like, keep winning, right? You got to stay, keep winning. And eventually you're in the winner's circle playing in an orchestra. That's sort of the... And so, um, and, and also I'd taken my sophomore year, right? And prioritized something other than the clarinet, prioritized uh, pledging my fraternity and all that came with that. So um, my teacher from high school, who I was still in contact with, helped put me in touch with a teacher that I wanted to study with kind of eventually. Um, it was sort of part of that same family of learning and teaching that my teacher from high school had come out of, a guy named George Peterson, who at the time was principal uh, clarinetist of the Concertgebouw Orchestra in Amsterdam. So um, I spent my junior year 
doing school and all that, but also setting this up. And I actually withdrew from Northwestern after my junior year and went to Amsterdam to study with this teacher. Uh, I did an artist diploma while I was over there. So I enrolled in the conservatory. And that made a, that changed, that, that really changed things. I, I, I was, you know, on my own in another country. And the only reason I was there was to practice the clarinet and get better. Um, I, I, I just switched to a different instrument at that time, like a new clarinet. So it was sort of a fresh start in that regard, you know, like we're starting over. Um, and, uh, you know, this is 1995, right? 94, 95. So like no cell phones, at least not for regular people, right? No lot, you know, no, no internet, not really like having a laptop wasn't, you know, that wasn't really a thing. Um, so I was really isolated. I didn't have any, you know, I didn't, I was over there for 15 months. I was broke. Um, but I was hardcore practicing the clarinet and poured everything into that. I really saw it as like a make or break moment and threw myself at it like that and came back, you know, I mean, I was practicing five, six hours a day and away from everything and everybody, new teacher, new environment, new ideas, you know, so I came, I, I grew and developed a lot and then came back, um, finished up at, uh, at, at NU and um, went on to the Manhattan School of Music. I did, and uh, there was a really competitive program that they had there um, called the Orchestral Performance Program, which was you would do a master's, but it was going to be focused exclusively on orchestral instrumental playing. So you're not doing recitals and sonatas and concertos. It's all focused on the orchestral literature and specifically the orchestral audition, which you know, is like the bar and the NFL comp. So the, the legal bar or your medical boards and the NFL combines and a job interview sort of, and a, and a open winner take all tournament all sort of wrapped into one. Right. And so a lot, a lot on the line, if you can win, right. You can change your life. Um, so at that point, I, a new teacher came into my life, Ricardo Morales, who was the teacher in that program, who was, you know, that this was transformative for me. I was ready for it. And also, he's just transformative. I mean, um, can I ask you something I, about the yeah, teacher? Please. So the yeah, teacher please. in Amsterdam. And yeah. so I, when I ask this question, I'm basing it on my own experience with taking lessons from someone that I had aspired to take lessons from, and they're at a very high level. Would you say the teacher in Amsterdam was the highest level at that moment of your life that you had ever taken from? Yeah, I mean, the, the highest level that was really my first teacher, that, that, that 10 to 18 stretch. Um, you know, he was in many ways like more like a root guru, you know, than... Uh, this was the first teacher that he approved of, right? Which, the big you know, thing. look, yeah, it's a big thing. Looking back, you know, look, that he, he did so right by me. So there's nothing. You do have to release your students to learn from other people, right? You have to, and you have to empower them and you have to like, and so I think that was maybe a little late coming for me, uh, especially because again, the whole Northwestern thing, I went there to study with one person and never got to do that. So there's a sense of like, oh, this isn't turning out the way it is. The guy that, that was available to me 
was amazing. And if I had committed to him, right? I mean, a lot of, as you know, as a teacher and as a student, a lot of it is about trust, right? right. You have to, you got to commit. You got, when your teacher says, do this, you got to do it. And if you're like thinking you might know better or you want, you know what I'm saying? It can really get in the way of, of that. And so I never connected with him. Anyway, getting back to Amsterdam. Yeah, it was the first time since high school, the first teacher I had who um, I was empowering, who my teacher was empowered. And I think an interesting thing, Joe, it was the first time I was hearing someone who, like an approved source saying things that were different than the, my first sort of you know, origin, which in my experience was, was new. And that was also liberating, right? To have right. someone say like, oh, you should go left at the fork in the road. And I was like, but I was taught to go right. Well, I'm telling you to go left. Yeah. What happens when you go left? And then like, oh, interesting things are happening. New things are happening. Huh, I wonder. I'd always wanted to go left. And you start to empower yourself a little bit. So yeah, that was transformative. The main thing though of that year was, so he was a huge impact. Um, the other thing was I really put the clarinet back at the center of my life, you know, and, and constructed my life so that there really was not much to it besides that. Right. So a year sort of isolated, no contact. Really, I was coming. I mean, this is nice. It sounds old. I'm, you know, you never think you're going to be the person, <laughs> right? You never think you're going to be the person like giving up years like this was whatever. We in your life. I was like, yeah. we, we never wanted to have this conversation we're having now in our I life. Know. Like where you yeah. have to go back to years and explain that there was no Internet. <laughs> yes. Or, or like that's a thing. Right. I mean, like right. but that, the, my main source of contact with with my family, my girlfriend at the time, all that was writing letters. Yeah. Writing letters. Right. You know, I didn't have any money. So like international calling, that's like that was, you know, there's no Skype. There's no, you know, so. I put the clarinet at the center of my life and then lived a life in which there was not very much else. And so um, I had a certain sort of drive and asceticism. Honestly, the, the, the sophomore year pledging the fraternity and some of the tribulations around that gave me a, an extra gear of uh, grit. I mean, you and me, we talk about this stuff a lot, right? Embrace the suck. Yeah. Like, you know, find, find, find a way to take satisfaction in the work and the hard work and the suckiness of it. And, and I definitely did that that year, right? Every time I felt lonely, I was like, well, you know, you should maybe do what you came here to do. Go practice some scales. Right. You know? Well, so, um, and, and that was part of my, my question and it could be relevant for both your first teacher and then the next one in Amsterdam and then going to this, mm -hmm. you know, Manhattan school of music. But mm -hmm. when you get to teachers of that level, from my experience, mm -hmm. They don't screw around and yeah, they, and, and, and they, they, A, they don't want you wasting their time. But more importantly, I think what frustrates us as teachers is that when we see potential in someone, it really drives us crazy, right? It's like, right. you know, you wasting my time is one thing if, if you're just average or you suck, but if you're good, if I can see the potential in you and you waste your time and my time, it becomes right. really frustrating. So I was wondering, was your very first teacher, did he ever have one of those days where oh, yeah. you walked in and he's like, you are not prepared. You're wasting both our time. And oh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he was, that was a really close relationship. He was close to my family. Um, so, uh, but definitely, you know, I mean, he knew me from age 10 to 18, you know, once a week. And uh, as I got older, the lessons got longer, right? So, you know, my senior year in high school, junior, senior year lessons are three hours long, four hours wow, long. Really? 
Yeah, man. I would oh. I would get over there at like five thirty. We would work from like five thirty to I get over there at five or five thirty. I can't. I think it's five. I have a five o'clock spot. We would work. His wife would come home. They would. There'd be a break. We'd have dinner, and then wow. we'd go back to work. Right. And uh, it was it was great in so 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 many ways. It was a level of commitment. And again, this is like my understanding of like what music lessons are. Again, so it's like very different, right? I mean, it's my socializing is social. So music, to the degree it was a social thing, it was socializing with my teacher and 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 his family, his wife. They didn't have kids. Um, which is different from socializing with your peers, right? It's a different type of environment, different sort of understanding of like what's, what's happening, what's supposed to be happening. Um, so definitely to answer your question, yeah, there's those moments. With my teacher in Amsterdam, we had one of those moments. And I never, <laughs> yes, I had one. You only early need to time. have one and then I you don't want yeah. to have them again. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. With my, with my, you know, 10 to 18, I mean, he was, you know, again, he knew me from when I was a, literally a little kid until I was an adult. And so... You know, there was ups, there was moments where he told me to, you know, get my head out of my butt and stuff like that. But there was never a thought that like he was going to quit me like that right. wasn't right. So early on in Amsterdam, yeah, there was one, I had two rough lessons with him. One, um, he asked me to do something, and I didn't do it. Uh, and then the other one, I showed up, um, and I learned, I had, I had to learn a piece of music, an etude. And I'd learned it, like the notes, but I really hadn't like really learned it as a piece of music, turned it into music. And uh, yeah, he sent me home. Uh, he cut my lesson short. He was like, look, I mean, that's not, I'm not here to teach. I'm not here to do the work for you. Yeah. Go home. Yeah. So that was like, oh, okay, all right. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like but, I've had, I definitely had a lot more of those than you have had. Oh, uh, yeah, well, but um, I don't know about that. But in any case, yeah, he that was I only needed one of those. And I was like, all right, not not. But again, to your point, it was like, oh, OK, like I never had a teacher do that. Actually, I was I've never had a teacher um, be like, you don't need me to I'm not going to you don't need me. And, you know, so go. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, what's next? What do you want to talk about? Buddy? <clears throat> so now we're at Manhattan School of Music. And you're in a very intense, to yeah. put it lightly, program. Yeah. So now I understand the importance of there being three eighth notes in a dotted quarter. <laughs> At this point, I have figured that out. And, and Manhattan is actually where a lot of that happens, where, you know, I'm really now, I have the skills on the instrument. I'm... Um, sort of back on track in a way I hadn't been pretty much for my whole college career in terms of like, I'm at, I'm at, I'm in sort of an elite place and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm competing and seeing that, you know, and I'm able to do it consistently. I'm, my playing is starting to get a lot more consistent. I can dial up the results. One of my, my mantra when I was in Amsterdam, it's, it's grim. I, I actually said it out loud. I was doing some teaching over this summer and I said it out loud and I was like to share with some students. And I was, afterwards I was like, I have to revisit that. because that's not. But my mantra was eliminate hope. Then here's why. I wanted to eliminate the feeling of like, 
right before I started to play a solo or an audition, like, I hope this goes well, mm-hmm. right? This idea that I was subject to like clarinet gods that were either going to smile on me or not. I wanted to eliminate that. I wanted to really understand like the instrument and my ability to like deliver the goods on demand when the clock strikes midnight, whatever, you know what I'm saying? Like now, do it now. So those, that had paid off. So by the time I got to know it's in Manhattan school, I was really starting to be able to like, you know, I don't know that my best playing has gotten all that much better, right? Since I was like 16 or 17, as much. And I, there's stuff I could do at 16 I can't do now, right? Because like my tendons are old. But, you know, the, 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 the wave has gotten a lot more narrow, right? Mm-hmm. That's the whole thing. That The dip, like my worst playing is so much farther above, you know, what could. And so Manhattan is where that, a lot of that starts to happen. I'm playing in an orchestra a lot. I'm... Um, I'm stepping out and um, competing and getting some spots and some really some uh, some of the elite summer programs. So I go to Tanglewood, I go to the National Repertory Orchestra, um, and by and I'm training with uh, uh, Ricardo Morales. Who um, first time I had a teacher that wasn't white, so Mer- Ricardo's from Puerto Rico, um, and while this wasn't like a an often or constant topic in our lesson. It was the first time that the subject of like me and my teacher not being white the way everybody, most of the people in the band were. And like he, and he was able to nav, he was able to mention that in relation to himself. The recipe was this sort of simple recipe. It was like, oh, you just gotta be like way, way better than everybody. So come on, let me show you how, right? So it wasn't like we didn't spend a whole bunch of time hovering around it, but that was a new construction. The main thing though was, another thing that was impactful on that is, um, you know, Ricardo is only 18 months older than me. So I'm doing my master's, but he's principal clarinetist of the Metropolitan Opera Orchestra at age, he got that job when he was like 21. And I mean, just to put it in context, I mean, if aliens landed and they said, take me to the highest paid orchestra on planet earth, at the time it was the Metropolitan Opera Orchestra, right? If aliens landed and were like, take me to the most, you know, prominent, you know, hot shot, like it was him, right? Take me to the highest paid, it was him. Like he was killing it. This is a guy who was in the semifinals to be associate principal clarinet of the Boston Symphony when he was 16. I mean, just a freak show, right? Um, and all, and, and I mean that it was also, here's the, another thing, because I mean, you'll get this, both of us coming from sort of a competitive framework. It was the first time that my teacher's playing was on another planet from mine. And it relieved me of competing with my teacher, which turned me into a much better student, mm-hmm. right? So now I was no, there wasn't any, like my defensive mechanisms were obliterated in the first 30 seconds of hearing him play the clarinet. Like the whole sort of, oh, I could do that, or maybe I could do that, or finding fault, all the stuff you do to sort of protect your ego and your need. Like there was no way, I'm still not, there's no way. My goal is, as it relates to trying to sound like Ricardo is like, you know, he has 60 acres of like ability. And it's like, I have like, I don't know, whatever I have, 10, can I develop my 10 such that if you drop them into his 60, it would be seamless, right? So I am trying to make the stuff I do measure up to what he can do, but he can just do so much more. I mean, and that was liberating. I'd never heard, and that made me a better student. It also just changed 
what I thought the goal was, right? So now all of a sudden I was like, oh, that's how Shostakovich 10 sounds? Oh, that's how? So like I had a lesson with my audition was on a Friday. I flew into New York on a Tuesday, had a lesson with him on Wednesday, heard him on Wednesday in that lesson, had him tell me some stuff. You know, he, he, at the time, he, he's, a, he's, he's, a, he's young. He was 25. I mean, I was 25. He was 25. He was 26. I was 25. So he wasn't like a, you know, he's, he's a very like active personality, active mind, constantly going, like probably, you know, you have to like literally like unplug him matrix style to get him to stop. <laughs> um, played a lot in the lessons back then, a lot, a lot of teaching by showing. Um, and uh, that was great for me at the time. I think he does more listening now and he's like, you know, he's middle-aged like us, so he's, he's calmer. But um, I was a better player by Friday is the short end of that story. I had a lesson with him on Wednesday and I was playing better by Friday just because I, 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 I had a different paradigm. Um, yeah. So he was great. He, he was great. The studio was great. Everyone was supportive. We were competitive, but we were, there was a few of us there and we were, you know, he did a good job of sort of making us feel like we were one team, you know, all in it together. And, uh, yeah. So then that's, that's Manhattan school. Uh, took my first professional audition maybe two weeks before graduation. Um, and then, yeah, so I left Manhattan. And who was that? Um, the the audition was oh your neck of the woods the audition was for the Syracuse Symphony oh uh, yeah, yeah yeah didn't get out of the first round didn't deserve to uh, but took the audition and actually ironically fortunately for me that turns out to be the longest audition list I ever of any audition I ever took so the first audition I took which had all the added pressure of like you know yeah I'm doing it and blah 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 actually was like also was like asked the most of me so i i all the music that i had to polish and learn and everything i didn't have to add too many more pieces to the repertoire after that point um which was good which was just that's just sort of a lucky lucky uh right. turn of events good. it was a good foundation for audition. yeah it was a good first audition yeah. it was a good look i got on it i didn't have to get on a plane you know i went down to penn station i got on a train yeah. I went, you know, but that whole experience of like going to another place and checking into a hotel and then like showing up at some stage door and being ushered into a room and then like told to wait here and then told to wait there. And now, and now here's your 30 seconds. So, so what was your first professional landing of a orchestra or symphony? Gig, yeah. Um, so coming out of uh, coming out of uh, Manhattan School, I um, auditioned for. I had my heart set on getting into the New World Symphony in Miami, which is a uh, they call themselves America's Orchestral Academy. But it's sort of it's like a, a summer festival that doesn't end <laughs> uh, for 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 an orchestra. It's it's a great sort of thing to do after after school um it's all about you know you can be there for a maximum of three years but the goal is to get out of there and and win a, a tenure track job somewhere and um again this whole idea of like just keep winning just keep winning you know so i i didn't get it i, I got like runner-up or something like that and um i had taken 
and auditioned to, to go play in the Civic Orchestra of Chicago. So the Chicago Symphony has a training orchestra called the Civic Orchestra, uh, which is a really, it's a great program. Um, I was thinking of it just like as a, a backup or whatever. Um, but I, I got in and um, didn't get into New World. And so uh, went back to Chicago. Um, uh, at this point now, I'm starting to take uh, auditions. The next audition I took was for the Naples Philharmonic in Florida. And uh, did well, advanced this time, got into the late rounds. Um, but more importantly for the story, ran into someone I'd gone to Northwestern with who had stayed in Chicago and built a teaching studio. Um, and now she was moving somewhere, I think to Memphis, maybe to play in the orchestra. And we just happened to run into her. Hey, how are you? Good to see you. Blah, blah. She's like, hey, I'm leaving town. Do you want my studio? And I was like, I'm going to go. I, I think it, I, the, the day unfolds and, and you know, I, we don't, we don't, neither of us get the gig. And so and she said, I'm leaving town. Do you want my studio? And I was like, yeah. So it was, again, really just fortune smiled on me. So I moved back to Chicago. I had this playing opportunity with the Civic Orchestra of Chicago, kept me playing in orchestra. Now I'm doing all my rehearsals and performances, or many of my rehearsals and, and most of my performances inside Symphony Center in downtown Chicago. So that, that's a new thing as well, right? Like sitting on the stage and seeing like, the big hall and like the nerves that come with all of that and like performances on big stages. And, you know, um, that was really great. And of course the learning and getting to work with some great conductors because they often will, you know, so we, I got to work with Daniel Barenborn, who at the time was the music director of the, he has some really amazing stuff to say about sound, like really interesting and intricate and really committed, right? Like, a specific sound it's got not just not just a good sound but like this particular sound and how do we do that together and da, 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 all that and then i'm also jumping in my car and driving down to i can't remember where it was it's like some town like an hour north an hour south of chicago and teaching um teaching all the clarinet students in sort of the surrounding area band programs, uh, teaching from like three to nine, like half hours lessons, like two days a week. Um, but again, I was just really lucky. She had, my friend had already built this studio. And so, you know, the parents were accustomed to like paying a month in advance, which Makes right. a big difference. Oh, right? yeah. Yeah, yeah. Makes a big difference if you get all of that money in at once. And she had them really well, they all believed in sort of a system of credit. So it was like, you know, you, you pay for the month. If your kid gets sick, of course. And that'll add, that shows up as a credit in your next month's bill. But if your kid decides at, you know, 3 30 that they don't want to go to their 4 30 yep. lesson, like, Sorry. That's yeah. Well, no, I'm. I'm not, that's a choice you guys make as a family. But yeah. you can't just cancel on me. I'm sitting yeah. here in this room waiting for. Them. <laughs> yeah. So, and I didn't have to do any of that. And I don't. I don't think I would have had the understanding or the courage actually to, to set up studio rules like that because um, I didn't have any experience in that regard. I just sort of fell into it. So that was that year, and then. Uh, Can I ask you then, one yeah, question please, about please, this yeah, specific orchestra? And Good. and I also want to for any of the listeners that are listening to this that aren't musicians or aren't educated in the way orchestras are set up, 
what are the chair placements for yeah. the various instruments? So like it, it follows the same pattern for most of the instruments, right? It's principal yeah. and then second, yeah. third. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I what mean, were you in the Civic August show. Well, Civic, we were, they didn't, they didn't, they okay. didn't, you were just clarinets and then they assigned us based on like, uh, so they would accept four each year yeah. and then you just get assigned. And you, you know, some of the assign the way the assignments are handed out, you start to get a sense of like who's favored mm -hmm. or who is held in. But it's also, there's a lot of opportunity. So everyone kind of gets the opportunity because it's a training orchestra. It's not a, in professional orchestras, you know the the rank. Obviously, there are different there are differences in the jobs, um, difference in what they do, but also difference in terms of like status. Not really so much some somewhat inside the ensemble, certainly outside the ensemble. Right? People understand words like principal or something like that. They get that, but um, you know a lot of it has to do with. Uh, it's not about so much. It's about ability, kind of in that moment at that time, but. You know, at the professional, whereas like for a civic orchestra of Chicago or all state band, like that thing iterates every year, right? And there, it's a whole new, everything's tossed out and you have, even civic, you had to re-audition, right? What you weren't, whereas New World is different. New World, if you get in, at the end of their first year, they kind of make a decision about you. The default, the, 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 the thing is set up though to, to, to want to bring you back. It's, you, it, they, they do have some room though at the end of the first year if, they, if it's not working or whatever. But you know, New World is a three-year sort of ride, which is again, it's, it's more money, it's more performing. New World basically operates like a professional orchestra with some other stuff around it uh, and not, you don't get paid as much, but they do cover your housing and you're living on South Beach, which is pretty nice. In any case, um, Civic, so yeah, but in a professional orchestra, um, it's different, right? Because these 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 positions open for a moment in time, and then they don't they don't open again. So the person I replaced as principal clarinetist of the Phoenix Symphony, a guy named Jack Rattery, he had been in the job, and I'm sort of guesstimating here, but I I I, I feel pretty good saying he was on the job for thirty years, wow. right? And then wow. I'm you know I've been on the job now almost twenty years right so in sixty years shortly there will have been two people in this position so it's not and and there've been in that time period there've been there's been uh, probably two or three people on that set on on the second chair right so it's a lot to do with vacancies it's not so much about like and so if you want to be if what you want to do is play principal clarinet, flute, oboe, bassoon, whatever, like there's no guarantee that that job, that, that there's going to be an opening for that position in every orchestra during your sort of career of auditioning, you know, or, or being interested or the current principal clarinetist, for instance, oh, the, a great way, a great one is the guy who he is before. So uh, the current principal clarinetist of the New York Philharmonic is an amazing artist. His name is Anthony McGill. So for any listeners that just want to like be blown away by great stuff, go check out Anthony's stuff. But Anthony replaced, um, there's a little bit of a blah, blah, blah in between, but uh, a guy named Stanley Drucker. Stanley Drucker is principal clarinetist of the New York Philharmonic for over 50 years, right? So that's not, that's, that's, yeah, that means someone could, the day he got the job, someone could be born, pick up the clarinet at 10, get amazing, play as if they had 12 fingers, and not be, there won't be an opportunity to audition for that job to be principal of that orchestra 
you know, until they're 50. Where are they? Where are they? So a lot of it is, you know, so I, 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 the titles and all that matters, but it's, you know, I was taking second auditions um, and, and heartbroken when I didn't get those. Uh, I was runner up for a second job in a different orchestra that would have paid me more than my job in Phoenix. So at this point, I mean, when it comes to being doing this professionally, you just want an opportunity you want. I mean, there are some people who are like, I, you know, I own a lot of clarinets, but I don't own a second clarinet. Like that's not me for one thing. Um, I mean, maybe at this point, not because I just, cause I'm not good at it. Cause I haven't done it enough, but um, <laughs> uh yeah, so the title thing, it's not the same thing on the professional level, right? It's like, you know, people get in these jobs and, 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 they're, they're, and, and there's not chair challenges every year. It's not like that. Um, and they're just different jobs at the end of the day. And, you, you know, you sort of get it. It's like being a sideman versus being the headliner. I mean, those are just different jobs. Yeah. Uh, and, you, you know, there, there's no, uh, there's no, you know, being a, being a side, not being the headliner it, it, among professionals isn't, you know, there's, it, it depends on what you're doing, but it could be like an incredibly prestigious thing, even if sort of the regular person doesn't get that exactly. Right. And it could be incredibly like, you know, financially rewarding depending on who you're playing with. Right. I mean, right. that's <laughs> yeah. right. All right. So, you are doing, you're back at the Civic Orchestra in oh, yeah. Chicago. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And sure. no, this is, this is my job. This is, I, so then I want to know what the first, uh, first professional, you know, the, you, you, the, got it. you got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it, we're still, we're still a little ways off. I am starting. And, and I actually, I want to rephrase that. I'm not saying because I, at that level, it's very professional. I'm, I, I, the wording should have been, what is your first, yeah 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 yeah. Yeah. the good news is is, i mean at this point i'm out of school right and um it's my first year out of school and i'm paying my bills entirely in music right so i got a little bit of a stipend from the civic orchestra of chicago i've got this teaching thing that my i was just lucky right right place right time someone just gave me a gift um and so i'm not having to like work at starbucks or a bar or anything Mm -hmm. like that um i started to pick up uh some i mean the very first like major professional thing i did was i substituted with the boston symphony when i was during the summer when i was at tanglewood so i was at tanglewood doing a training thing you know part of that program and the bso is there as well that's their summer home and so they they were doing something big and they needed more clarinets than they than they have in their complement and so they reached into the summer program and, and asked. So that was so I joined the union, right? Oh, like wow. from yeah, because you know you can't work in the nope. Boston Symphony if you're not <laughs> in the union. Um, so I joined the local in DC actually because that's where hyphenated local. That's where my that's where you know because I was like you know I think I probably had to get the money from my parents honestly to pay like my my first round of dues until the, until I made some you know got that check. Um, but the first like yeah the first professional check I got was from the Boston Symphony. That's cool. Um, yeah, it definitely made me like, you know, sort of misapprehend yeah, yeah, <laughs> how yeah. many zeros are usually in your check. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, while I was in Chicago doing Civic, I got to sub in with the Chicago Symphony, um, which was great. Uh, had that first, um, first opportunity I got with them came, again, I was home in the middle of the day. 
someone got sick last minute, the personnel manager is just going through the list. And I was lucky to be on it and be home. And he was like, can you be here? And, you know, to whatever it was, however many. And I was like, absolutely. And like, you know, threw my horn in the case and got in the car and got down there and sight read, whatever. And then, uh, so uh, the next thing that happens for me is uh, I go, I get what's called the African-American Fellowship with the Detroit Symphony Orchestra. And that's like my first gig gig. Uh, it's not a tenure track position in that orchestra. They have had this fellowship since the uh, late 80s. Um, they have one position that they reserve for this program. Uh, and you basically uh, play halftime in the Detroit Symphony and the other halftime you're training and preparing. And the whole goal is to uh, support uh, African-American musicians so as to um, ultimately their goal is to like diversify, quote unquote, the field. Um, so they're also giving you a lot of support uh, in terms of uh, preparing for auditions. So I'm, I'm working as a member of the DSO uh like 25 30 weeks uh a, a year starting that next year uh, i did that for two years and that was amazing right so i'm like now i'm doing the thing like i'm i'm playing you know playing and playing uh in a, in, a, in a major orchestra um they gave does that me mean you real... completely picked up from chicago and oh yeah yeah definitely. right gave away all the students got out of the where exactly. you live Every, yeah everything right yep. everything everything and um so i'm doing that um I'm, I'm really learning uh like what it is to play the gig right just another level of understanding about like communal pulse pitch uh you know, what's, how to prioritize, right? Like, how do you triage? Like, how do you, like, you know, just understanding how to triage a part, like, this has got to get, if I've got to learn all these notes, like, these are the ones I got to learn first, and then these, and then these. Now, ideally, you want to get to all of that, but if you get that order wrong, and you spend a lot of time work, you know, so what's the most important thing? What's my job? A lot of it was like really understanding, like, what's the job? What's the task? And just being able to do that, building my confidence on the audition front, um, taking every audition that comes and doing well. I'm starting to, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm advancing, I'm getting into late rounds, I'm finaling, I'm running out for stuff. Uh, a big part of that is the, the you know, I, I have access to Detroit Symphony Hall. So, you know, what, one thing that's really disconcerting about auditions is, you know, they happen in the hall, in, the, in an empty orchestra hall. Uh, the, they're behind a screen, which a lot, or at least the first rounds are. Now we're moving towards keeping the screen up the whole time. At that time, the screen would often come down in the late rounds. But the first rounds are the hardest ones to get out of, right? That's when there's. So, what do you mean yeah. by the screen? So, okay. So, um, orchestral auditions, professional American orchestral auditions are at least in part screened, which is to say the um, candidate walks out on stage, you know, middle of stage. It's all, one is just weird, right? The stage is completely empty. The stage that's designed to seat like 100, 100 people plus a chorus, maybe, is like empty except for like one music stand. Um, and then out in the hall is the committee that's evaluating you. And they're be literally behind a screen. There's a screen in front of them so that they cannot see the candidate who's playing. So they're just evaluating your ability to play. And everyone's playing the same thing. 
everyone, every in the first round, let's say the first round is Beethoven six, Midsummer Night's Dream, ticka, 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 ticka. Everyone's playing the same notes, the same parts, the same exact everything. And they're after every person, they're making a decision. Do we want to hear more from this person or not? So let's say the committee is seven people. It might be nine. Usually it's seven. Um, in most circumstances, they're just voting and it's a secret ballot You're, there's, and no discussion. Not, hey, Joe, what do you think of this person? Wow, it's, really? Make your own. Yeah. And, wow. and, yeah. Make your own. And if you get four, if you get a majority, yes, yes or no. If you get four yeses, you're advanced to the second round. So usually then if the first round, if there's like 80 people that show up to play the, you know, that do the thing and then everyone can play, like no one's just like doing this on a lark, right? Cause you're paying for it yourself. You're paying your own airfare, you're paying your own hotel. Um, and to even know that it's happening, you kind of have to like be, it's not like you're scrolling through Facebook and you're like, Oh, Hey, the Phoenix Symphony's <laughs> auditioning violins tomorrow. I right. guess I'll just go down and, right. It's not, that's not how you find out about it. So it's like a very inside thing. I mean, there's, you know, it's, it's transparent, but it's like, you know, getting a job in higher ed, right? You have to be looking for that in any case. And basically first, they don't see you and you don't see them. You don't see them. And that first cut is from like 80 to like 20. I mean, so they're dismissing like 60 people easily, maybe, maybe 65. Um, so just learning how to do that and to get back to the Detroit thing, right? What did Detroit offer me was access to the hall. That's like ice time, you know, you're from upstate New York, right? That's like, that's like a, a gift because playing an audition in an empty hall with the sound reflecting back at you and you're seeing just like acres of empty seats and then like out there, like X yards away from you, there's this black screen and behind that, you know, are people like, it's a real head trip. And so just getting to practice in that simulative environment right where i was so i would do a lot of practice you know we would have rehearsals the orchestra would leave i would come out on the stage and practice in the empty hall and just get used to like seeing and hearing you know these these are big spaces right so getting used to like playing for like competitive evaluate like you're being it's you're competing and you're being evaluating and like you're trying to change your life and you know there's all this going on and so just and then the sound is different so that was a big thing for me in Detroit was getting to just have access to their stage and then the members of the symphony were really supportive of me so getting to, to do sort of like mock auditions like a mock interview I would play got to play for them and really you know a lot of this is like it's like the combines or anything pick your pick your sporting event a lot of visualization a lot of like not just knowing how to do it, it's mostly knowing how to how to do it on command right now, yeah. right? Like make this free throw right now when everything's on the line and everyone's yelling and screaming. Like that's the, it's not like what's the mechanics of making a free throw. Like you, you can understand that in high school, maybe younger. I go through two years in Detroit, lots of uh, doing well, you know, finals that starts to lose the lose its luster actually right in the beginning making the finals was like huge i didn't even necessarily care so much about the gig but you know and just w wanting to start my life in any case uh leave detroit without having yet secured a position uh auditioned again for new world uh got in this time wasn't nearly as excited didn't want it in the same way right i i, I didn't want this i wanted to start my life I wanted to 
you know, yeah, I was sick of, you know, doing, just being on the way. Um, fortunately, uh, so in the, in the spring and May of 2001, I auditioned for the Phoenix Symphony. This is while I'm still in Detroit, uh, starting the first round, make it to the finals, at the end of which they don't hire anybody. It's a no hire, which now as a professional, I think it's just like outrageous. Like all these people have flown, like we've got to get our, I just think professional orchestras and no hire should be an unacceptable thing. Unless you're the one paying for the, unless you're paying for all right. the flood, right? You're just like, right. And how does, under, what's the explanation for something like that? Well, I, it's funny. because so this is, Ricardo makes an appearance in the story now. So that summer, um, I am headed, I've, I'm, I've finished in Detroit. I'm going to be starting a new world in September. So I'm moving now from Detroit to South Beach, to Miami. So, you know, I drive, I'm going to go through Maryland. I get to Maryland. Uh, I'm actually, I'm, it's instruments again. I'm going to go to New York and, and pick up some new instruments. And so Ricardo's there and I, I, I'm going to go meet him. So um, we're playing in, the, and at this point, Phoenix has announced that they're going to do the audition again in October. And, um, I, in my mind, had thought, I'm not going to go. And I was starting to entertain, I was starting to be like, I think I might, like, I, I was beginning to give some room in my thinking that I was, I was really sick of being subject to the audition process. And I was the, the sort of asking, for me, it felt like I was just asking seven strangers permission to start my life. And it just was, felt like a crazy arrangement. I was tired of it. So I was beginning to sort of express that a little bit. And so one of the first places I was going to express it was like, I was not going to go retake the Phoenix audition. And for me, that felt like I'm going to exert some control here. And also my, my feeling was, I admit to your point, I made it to the finals. They heard me and they passed. What's the best thing that can happen here? I can make it to the finals again because the screen at the time, the screen would come down. So they, they take the screen down in the finals. So now they're looking at you. They oh. know who you. Yeah, right. That's like defeats the whole purpose of anonymity to be like at the point of hire. We actually now want to know like what you look like. And it, it, it invites like all kinds of potential bias. Yeah. At, at the time, I just accepted it as the way I'm now I've studied that stuff and I have some different ideas about it. But in any case. Just to be clear that the and why I knew that they would know who I was. Did you just so, say you're becoming a wise old man? Is that kind of? I mean, that's about the you, sixth time I've said that. I mean, I feel like <laughs> we should just call this the Wise Old Man Podcast, right? <laughs> you know what? That's a damn good name, right there. <laughs> so, so um, yeah. So I've talked to Ricardo. He's listening. He's listening. He's listening. I remember this so clear. And he looks up. I saw, so I'm not going to go back to Phoenix. They heard me, blah, 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 blah. Inside, I'm feeling like, good. Like, I'm finally, like, making some choices. I'm not just going to be subject to the international musician. I'm just going to go wherever, whatever the international musician, because that's where the openings come out, right? In yep, the union yep. paper, in the back three pages. Like, yep. and that's where you find out what, what you're going to do for the next three months. Oh, I've been looking, I've been video. looking for triangle auditions right. for yeah, years. Yeah, yeah. They yeah, never yeah, show up. Show. <laughs> it's called, it's called principal percussion. It's like 16 instruments they got to work on. No, and thank you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so um, Ricardo's listening, listening. And he says, uh, hmm, you know, you need to get over yourself. <laughs> ah. 
yeah. those moments. Yeah. 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 And he was good to answer to your question. There's a long way of answering that question. So your question is like, what's happening when there's when there's a no hire? And that's what he said to me. He's like, you think that that no hire is about you? That's not about you. It's about a committee that, you know, probably had some politics and some, you know, personality stuff. And the easiest thing for their own sort of well-being was to not hire somebody because they couldn't agree and no one was willing to really like tip over the apple cart. Mm -hmm. And it probably doesn't serve the player, right? Because you think you're doing someone a favor, but they still have to get through tenure and probation. And like someone who was, if you try to force someone down someone's throat, you might get it down there after the audition. They're going to vomit it back up through the Mm -hmm. probation process. They're going to be really unsupportive of this person. But I didn't understand that, you know, I didn't. And so I listened to that and I was like, okay, because Ricardo was not big on like, he's not like a sage, he's, that's not like his thing. For him to say something like that, I listened. So I sent my stuff in. Um, I actually asked them, I was like, hey, seeing as I just, you know, played, made it to the finals in May, could you see your way to advance me uh, since you've already advanced, you already, you've already, determined my playing to be and they were like nope <laughs> oh wow so I, I came back out in october and uh, started in the first round again made it to the finals again and then this time um got the gig and and that sort of brings us you know to phoenix and wow. start you know starting my life uh as a sort of professional musician and that's what i wanted right i wanted to be able to I mean, all of this talking uh, what I, you know, if you can remember, like once I left school and you're, you know, you're out, you're meeting people and you're like, what do you do? It's like very difficult to answer that question with something that sounds real. Professional uh, auditioner. Yeah. Right. It's exactly. Like- yeah, man. Yeah, man. <laughs> and even if you're doing well, and it's like in the, in this world, you know, look, I was, you know, I was doing well. I had lots of reasons to feel good and lots of ways things had fortune had smiled on me and i'd gotten breaks and but you still don't have an answer that like you could put on a business card and so even in detroit i was just, i was definitely the closest i'd come up to but even then right i'm not a member of that orchestra right i'm 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 not a tenure track member that was not that was clear both to me and and to them um so anyway, so that, yeah, so Phoenix and then, uh, yeah, man, that's, that brings us up to here. I can't thank you enough for tuning into my podcast. It's definitely an honor for me to be in your ears and I appreciate you taking the time to listen to the podcast and possibly rating it, sharing it, and if you have the time to write a review. I hope the content that I'm delivering is something very special to you. And once again, thank you so much for listening.